Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we'd invite you, if you're able to come worship with us in person in North Mississippi, we'd invite you to come see us at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church outside Ackerman, Mississippi. Go check out our website too, macedonia-pbc.org. And you can also go see Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church outside Caledonia, Mississippi. And both of our churches meet for Sunday morning public worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and then also we have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi at the La Quinta Inn. So we would love to meet you in person. If you are not in our area, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our program, you can go to our website at gospel-of-grace.com, and you can get all of our past messages, subscribe to our podcast, find a church that's closer to you, and also be sure and send us an email if you enjoy the program and let us know through what medium you listen to our messages. We would certainly love to have that feedback from you. This morning, we'd like to begin the first of three messages that we will play, three different parts of the same message, on the sinner's prayer. As we try to answer the question, is the sinner's prayer biblical? So this morning, we want to bring the first installment of that message of three, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you this morning. God bless.
Today we would like to consider together the question, is the sinner's prayer biblical? So most of Christianity would hold that you have to choose to believe in Jesus Christ, you have to place your faith in God, and particularly to pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. So since this is so prevalent here in Christianity today, I believe it's very important for us to consider from the Word of God the sinner's prayer. Is the sinner's prayer biblical and the appropriate application? So I want to first answer that question for you. Is the sinner's prayer biblical? The sinner's prayer is biblical, but not in the context and the purpose and the application that is generally presented in Christianity today. Because the majority of Christianity would say that the sinner has to do something. The sinner has to pray. The sinner has to believe. The sinner has to confess. And that is an open invitation to anyone to choose to accept, to choose to pray this prayer. And the effect of that prayer is now that you have gained eternal life. And the scriptures do not teach that. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by prayer. We are saved by grace. We're saved by the unmerited favor of God and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, as we will find by the end of this message, there is a salvation in praying the sinner's prayer. But that salvation and deliverance that we receive from praying the sinner's prayer, the true biblical sinner's prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner, as we will see later, the deliverance and the salvation that we receive from praying the sinner's prayer is not taking us from hell to heaven. It's taking us from conviction to peace. It's taking us from shame to assurance. It's taking us from conviction and burden and fear to peace and hope and assurance in the heart of the child of God. So there is a invitation to pray the sinner's prayer for those that are burdened over their sins, but it's not an invitation for one to go from hell to heaven, to go from unregenerate to born again. Instead, it is an invitation for the sin-sick child of God that's burdened and sick over their sin to receive peace and assurance in their heart and to feel a confidence and a hope to feel justified in their heart as we see with the publican as he prayed the sinner's prayer in Luke chapter 18. So we want to consider that together with you today. Is the sinner's prayer biblical? Well, the answer is yes and no. No, in the sense that there is an invitation for anyone to pray a prayer and go to heaven. That is not biblical, and there is no account of the sinner's prayer in that context in the Word of God. However, all children of God are sinners, and any prayer that a child of God is going to pray is going to be a sinner's prayer. And I believe we have the appropriate application, but also the appropriate effect of the sinner's prayer from Luke chapter 18 with the prayer of the repentant publican. So first of all, we have to understand the purpose of this prayer is not as generally taught in Christianity today. The purpose of the sinner's prayer is not to save souls to heaven. The purpose of the sinner's prayer is to give assurance to burdened, convicted children of God, okay? So first of all, we want to start with the general presentation, the general application of the sinner's prayer in Christianity today. In the early to the mid-20th century, it became very popularized to make an invitation at the conclusion, particularly of a big evangelist rally, to make an invitation for someone to believe in the Lord, to make a profession of faith, and to pray the sinner's prayer. And it's very surprising and should be very telling that there is essentially no references to the sinner's prayer as we know it today in the first 1,800 years of Christianity, okay? 
the requirement to pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven is a very new construct. It is a very new thing that was popularized just within the last hundred years. And the main person that popularized praying the sinner's prayer, an open invitation for anyone to pray a prayer and go to heaven, is Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a good man, and he served the Lord and honored the Lord in much of what he did, but he did not preach the appropriate gospel of the sovereignty of God and salvation by grace alone that we see presented in the scriptures. There's not an open invitation for anyone to choose to accept Jesus Christ to go to heaven. No, the only people that have the ability to believe are those that have already been born again. We want to give you this verse very quickly before we continue. In John chapter 5 and in verse 24, we're going to see that belief, prayer, confession, all of those actions are not what initiate or what cause someone gaining eternal life. Those are all evidences that someone is already born again, that they already have eternal life. John chapter 5 and in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, half everlasting life. Half is a present perfect tense verb. He's already in possession of it and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So this is a person that's currently in possession of eternal life. They have already passed, past tense, from death unto life. And after you've been born again, after you've been quickened from dead and trespasses and sin to life in Christ, then you can believe on Jesus Christ. So belief is an evidence of someone already possessing eternal life, not the means by which you gain it. So the general teaching, the general preaching by Billy Graham and many others is to say that you are in need of Jesus, you're in need of eternal salvation, you are unregenerate and you're hellbound, and now you need to pray a prayer to go to heaven. Well, we're going to see from the scriptures that that's not correct. If anyone believes, the purpose of praying the sinner's prayer is not to go to heaven. If anyone believes, that is evidence that they're already heaven-bound, okay? That's evidence that they're already going to heaven because they've been elected by God before the foundation of the world, and their desire, conviction over their sin, and desire to pray a prayer, confessing their sin and trusting in Jesus, is evidence that they are already born again. They have already passed from death unto life, they already have in current possession of everlasting life. So Billy Graham popularized this sinner's prayer and the terminology that he used in his template of the sinner's prayer is as follows. So supposedly you pray this prayer and you go from an unregenerate hell-bound sinner to a regenerate heaven-bound child of God. And the prayer that supposedly changes your eternal destination according to Billy Graham, is this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, I want to first say that's a pretty good prayer. That is a good prayer to pray. But we first have to understand the purpose of praying this prayer. The purpose of praying this prayer, according to the scriptures, is not to gain eternal life. Now, most of this prayer, outside of inviting Jesus into your heart, is a good prayer. For the child of God, you should confess you're a sinner. For the child of God, you should ask for forgiveness. You should believe and confess that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again from the dead. You should turn from your sins and repent. And you should trust and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You ought to do all those things. This is a prayer that you should pray. But you need to understand you're not praying this prayer to go to heaven. You're praying this prayer to confess the fact that Jesus has already saved you and that Jesus is already your Savior. 
So this wording of the supposed sinner's prayer to go to heaven, it's very interesting that you won't find this in all of the Word of God. You won't. There's a tremendous variation between denominations and between various schools of thought as to the wording of this sinner's prayer. But why is there a variation in the wording of the sinner's prayer? It's because the Word of God doesn't give us the wording. Because there is no verse in the Bible that says you pray this prayer to go to heaven. Of all the Bible, of all the 66 books, 27 books in the New Testament, over 7,500 words in total, and all of the red letters of Jesus' words in the four Gospels, of all of the Bible, there is no command to pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. And that may be very surprising to some of you that are listening to this message today because you've probably been told your entire life in the church that you have to pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does not say you have to pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. And the sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. Don't you think that if people's eternal life, if the entire world's eternal life was hinging on them praying a prayer, that this would be all over every single word of the Bible, right? Surely God wouldn't leave this out. This is the most important thing in the history of the world. But the word of God doesn't give us the sinner's prayer that people have to pray to go to heaven. Isn't it interesting that we don't find it in the Bible at all? The reason for that is because we don't pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross. And that's the only means of our eternal salvation. Grace alone, not grace plus your prayer, not grace plus your belief, not grace plus your faith. No, we are saved by grace alone. Furthermore, we're not even told anywhere in the scriptures to pray to be saved. Now, we are told in places in the scriptures to believe to be saved. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 with Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. We're told to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart and then we can be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Also in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, we're told to call upon the name of the Lord. So belief, confession, and calling. We're told in these verses that there is a salvation in that. And there is a salvation. There is a deliverance for the child of God when you believe and confess and call on the name of the Lord. Now, it's not a salvation from hell to heaven. No, that salvation, particularly in Romans chapter 10, the salvation in context is a salvation from ignorance. These are people that are ignorant of God's righteousness and putting confidence on their works for salvation instead of faith in Jesus. No, they are saved from ignorance and they're saved from shame. So there is a salvation and deliverance. There's a salvation from the conviction of sin to the peace and the assurance of Jesus Christ that we have in the gospel. So there is a salvation in the belief, confession, and calling on Jesus. But isn't it interesting that even in those verses that specifically say you need to do this to be saved, that even in those instances, God doesn't say you pray a prayer to go to heaven. Now, a prayer has been equated to calling on the name of the Lord, but even that instance, the Bible doesn't say praying. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says you pray to be saved at all, let alone you pray to be saved to heaven. But it is just astounding that this is so heavily ingrained in most of Christianity that you have to believe, pray the sinner's prayer, have faith in God to go to heaven. You have the choice. It's your choice to pray this prayer because you want to go to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, child of God, it's not your choice to pray a prayer. You don't go to heaven by your choice. 
You go to heaven by God's choice. You go to heaven by God choosing you unconditionally by his grace before the foundation of the world. Your eternal destination has been fixed before the foundation of the world because God chose you to heaven. He predestinated you to heaven, not by your choice to do the work of praying a prayer, but by God's choice, by his unconditional love and grace upon you as an unworthy, undeserving sinner. But in all the word of God, there is no command to pray the sinner's prayer. But furthermore, we don't have the wording of the sinner's prayer. I mean, isn't that concerning? What if we say it wrong? Isn't it concerning that there's so much variation? What if I'm saying the wrong words? And that's very concerning because these words clearly since it's not in the Word of God, have been come up by men. Men have decided what the supposed words that you say are to go to eternal life. Does that concern you? Does that concern you that these aren't God's words? These are men's words? That should be concerning because people's eternal life is supposedly at stake. But men have just arbitrarily came up with the wording that determines people's eternal fate. No, you need to pray the sinner's prayer, but not to go to heaven. We find in Matthew chapter 19 the interaction between Jesus Christ and the rich young ruler. And actually the rich young ruler asked Jesus when he came up to him, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? You know, this was Jesus's perfect opportunity to set the record straight for all time what you need to do to go to heaven. How are men saved? How are men saved? You want to know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say what we hear from pulpits all over Christianity today, and that's that if you believe and you pray unto God, you place your faith in Jesus, because he wanted to know how to go to heaven. He felt inadequate in his own self to go to heaven, and he knew there was something outside of him that needed to get him to heaven. And then Jesus went the exact opposite route of what we find in Christianity today. Preachers from pulpits all over the world today Tell the sinner, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, you need to pray a prayer, and if you do that work, then you'll go to heaven. Well, you'll know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say that at all. Instead, what he began to do is tear down the rich young ruler's idea of a work salvation. Because he came thinking, he came to Jesus thinking that there was something he could do, a work that he could perform to go to heaven. And Jesus spent this entire interaction tearing down that idea. You need to obey the whole law. And I've done that since I was a young man. I've obeyed the whole law, which you know that wasn't true either. None of us have obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly, but he thought that he had. But then Jesus says, no, there's one thing that you lackest you need to go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he wasn't willing to do that, and he went away sorrowful. But Jesus takes this opportunity, instead of clarifying that this is what you need to do to go to heaven, instead, Jesus tears down the rich young ruler's idea of a works salvation. He thought there was something he could do to earn eternal life, and Jesus tore that down brick by brick and made him realize there is nothing that you can do, not even praying a prayer, to go to heaven. So then the apostles say, well, man, this is a very good man. How can anyone be saved then? To which Jesus' answer was, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, there is nothing you can do outside of living a perfect life that can make you righteous before God to earn eternal life. There's nothing you can do outside of a perfect life, and the only person that was able to live a perfect life was Jesus Christ and we have been saved by his imputed righteousness. But understand, one prayer, praying one prayer, doing one work, cannot nullify a lifetime of sin. No, the only way we can be saved is by Jesus Christ. With man, salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. 
You see, a prayer is something you do, right? A prayer is clearly something you do. And that makes prayer a work. When someone says you have to pray a prayer to go to heaven, they're saying you have to save yourself. You have to save yourself by work that you perform. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Scripture is very adamant that we are saved by grace alone. 2 Timothy 1, 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, if grace has any works, then it's not grace anymore. If work has any grace, it's not works anymore. Any grace that has works, at that point, it's not unmerited favor anymore. It's merited favor. It's something that you've earned, okay? So if you pray a prayer to go to heaven, you are saved by works. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. And furthermore, just think about this sinner's prayer. At what point are you actually saved? At what point are you actually saved? When you confess your sin, when you invite Jesus into your heart, when you say amen, at what point of the prayer did you actually become born again? At what point in your prayer did you become an heaven-bought child of God? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that one breath before amen, you're still unregenerate, but one breath after amen, you are born again. But furthermore, if that was the action that caused you to be born again, then what are you saved by? You're clearly saved by your prayer. You're saved by your works. You're saved by something you did, okay? So Jesus Christ has saved us on the cross. He finished the work of salvation. And if we think that there is an action that we perform that adds to the work of Jesus Christ, then we are robbing God of his glory. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 says that we are to glory solely in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, most people, and I know that most people don't understand the significance of what they're saying, but when they say, I prayed a prayer and I got saved, there should be no first person pronouns in our testimony for eternal salvation. Because if there is any first person pronouns, that means you did something to save yourself. You didn't. You didn't save yourself to heaven. I prayed the sinner's prayer and I got saved. No, you didn't. No, you did not get saved to heaven. Now, I'm sure you felt a deliverance and a peace and praise God for that. But you were not saved to heaven when you prayed that prayer. But when you make statements like that, you were saying that I contributed to my eternal salvation. What it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when we do these things that we think that we've contributed to our eternal salvation, our nature is to boast. And there's a lot of people that put their confidence that truly boast in a prayer that they prayed to go to heaven. And I understand many people do it not understanding the significance of what they're saying, but you're saying that you saved yourself. You're saying that you're saved by works through your testimony even if you truly believe that you were saved by the unmerited favor of God. That's why your prayer cannot be the means by which you're saved to heaven. No, we're saved to heaven solely by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Furthermore, we're told to confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's in Romans chapter 10, particularly in verse 9. Well, anything you confess, that fact has to be true before you confess it. It's obvious that God is not requiring his people to bear false witness to something that's not yet true to make it true. You know, if someone confesses, then that means something's already happened that they're confessing to. I mean, you don't confess to make something true. You don't believe to make something true. Your belief has no bearing on the validity of a fact or a circumstance or an event, right? Your confession and your belief have no validity on, on anything 
other than the fact of your individual belief of that fact, okay? So when we confess something, we don't confess something that's not true, you know? If you're unregenerate, when you begin that prayer, but then you confess Jesus as your Savior, well, he's not your Savior yet. You know, if you're not saved till amen, he's not your Savior yet. So you're bearing false witness in the middle of your prayer? That doesn't make sense. You don't believe that Jesus is your Savior to make him your Savior? No, clearly you believe in Jesus because he is already your Savior. You see, belief is the effect of eternal life, not the cause of it. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15 just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the grace of Jesus.